Shalom, and thank you for listening to the weekly teaching from Nachamu Ami. It's our honor that you've chosen to participate virtually, and we hope that this lesson will be an inspiration in your daily walk. Don't miss a single teaching. Be sure to download the Nachamu Ami app by visiting our website at www.makeandmessianic.com and clicking the Download the App button in the top left corner. Enjoy the message. So, there is, it is going to be a little bit more difficult without any slides today for the scriptures that we're going to be covering. If you have a Bible, I know that's so like 90s to bring a Bible to, to services, but uh, if you have your phone, you're, you're, excuse, you're forgiven for having your phone out if your Bible is on your phone because we want to be able to have you follow along with what I'm talking about. And it gets really long to read scriptures, but I'm going to make this interesting for you, okay? But let me start by saying that um, I do want to mention this, this particular family that I mentioned, a uh, family in Florida who listens to Nechamwami online and considers us, you know, to be their, their family because they don't have a congregation. It's a young man named Jeremy Daniels, 46 years old, speak, I think, I don't know how old he is, but um, had a massive heart attack. I was a, is a Navy, na- retired Navy now, reti- now retired from the Navy. Three kids, wife, very, very difficult road of recovery. He sent an email through our website asking that we would pray. So I've asked everyone to add Jeremy Daniels and his family to the prayer list. Also, I would like to ask you to pray for um, my, for me, here at the synagogue. About, you know, three or four years ago, you know, I was headed home for Shabbat and I stuck my hand in my briefcase to put my books in there and there was a rattlesnake in my briefcase. And then not long ago, about six months, six months ago maybe, I was in my office and something crawled across the floor and it was a mouse that was coming to join me. Now, a mouse, that's not a big deal, but it's nevertheless, it's a critter, not to mention all the lizards and different things that come in regularly. So yesterday, I was feverishly working on my message, and I look, and I'm sitting in my chair, and something crawls across the floor, and I thought, it's another mouse, until I walk up to it and realize it was a bat that had gotten into my office. So, thankfully, I was able to get this thing um, under a shoebox and carry it outside. And then when I went and threw it out, like I got it out of the shoebox, I went up to look at it and it went, <laughs> and it literally had vampire teeth. And they are, they are the horrible carriers of rabies and every other thing. So the next, the next move, I won't tell you what it was, but the bat is no longer going to have to worry about getting in anyone's office. But, like, God only knows what can show up next. I'm waiting to walk around the corner and see, like, an Indian spitting cobra or something. So, that's the benefit of, uh, that's the mixed blessing of being in the woods on 26 acres. But Lance, our resident pest control specialist, has already taken care of a number of things, so he'll be seeking out bats in the belfry. <laughs> and now with that excitement behind, let's, let me ask you a question. Is everyone feeling better? 
What? That's why it was here. Leave it to Richard Eisner for that one. It had showed up for bat mitzvah class. <clears throat> I ask you if you're feeling better because last week we, we started learning things to help us recognize that things were better in the book of Hebrews, right? We talked last week specifically about what, what was better last week. A better hope. Specifically, one thing that we talked about, there was an earthly temple and there is a heavenly temple, which is a better temple, according to the book of Hebrews. So that's where we were last week. And that was the first of the betters. This week, we've covered a better temple. We need to look at a better covenant. I promised you three betters. There are a lot of betters, but three main betters, better temple, better covenant, and today is a better priesthood. And since we were talking about priests, I decided to dress like a traveling evangelical priest from the 1800s. Priest, better priesthood. All of these betters, though, are leading to things that the book of Hebrews makes promises about. Hebrews 6, 9 says, Beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you. Hebrews 7, 19 says, A bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. There is a whole list of better things, and a better hope is a big one. So one of my hopes, and has been all along, and continues to be, is that in all these pieces, as they fit together in a way that's going to allow you to see how incredibly powerful this book is, how gifted, amazing, and spirit-filled this author of Hebrews is, to tie together the, the story from before the foundations of the earth with Messiah and God, all the way to the end, the end of the end, which is actually the beginning. It's where it all goes back. So that's, that's really the hope, and, and that this is, a, this is a miraculous Jewish work of encouragement. We are in a Messianic Jewish synagogue trying to, to share the, the foundations of our faith out there in a world who doesn't understand that. And that's really my hope all along, that we have been taking steps that way. So the better priesthood, and we are really going to spend some time here because there is so much in Hebrews about this concept. This is maybe really one of the, the pivot points for the entire message of the author, is that we want to understand this Hebrew, I mean, this uh, better priesthood that Yeshua has, and it's all mainly built upon chapters six through eight in Hebrews. I'm going to cover a lot of chapters today, but most of this and the next week when we talk uh, are going to be found in chapters six through eight. Here's the important statement in Hebrews 8, 6 about the better priesthood. It doesn't actually say better priesthood, but here's the, here's the statement and the implication. Now he has obtained, he being Yeshua, a more excellent ministry. By as much as he also is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises, a lot of better. So the Hebrews author is going to go to great lengths to explain the how and why of the better priesthood. Do you know why it's a better priesthood? 
Do you have some ideas why it's a better priesthood? Well, you're going to, for sure. I'm going to give you at least my perspective. That's not just mine. But first things first, an answer to any question about Hebrews forever for the rest of your life and any discussion with anyone, I always want you to make a mental note. Context, context, context matters so much. Who is the author writing to? Persecuted believers, Jews and God-fearers, where is he writing to them? In Jerusalem. When is he writing to them? In the 60s, the first century ones. Rough, rough times to be a follower of Yeshua. Why is he writing to them? Because it is probable that they've lost access to the core of Jewish worship, which is the temple. They've lost access to the priesthood and the mediation that the priesthood provides between Israel and God. They've lost access to the sacrifices. Why is he writing? He's writing as an exhortation. So that is absolutely imperative to have that in your focus in any time you read Hebrews. Because if you're like me, when you listen to a message series, you'll say, hmm, that makes sense. And you go back, read. And it's like, that doesn't make sense at all because that's not what this says. Context, context, context. Understand who the audience is. So Hebrews author, where does he begin his illustration of better? Chapter one, better than an angel. Better than angels, that's where he starts. Now, have you ever thought that's kind of a weird thing to just throw in there? Why do we need to know that Yeshua is better than angels? Because as you read on the rest of the book, it's all about the temple, it's all about the sacrifices, it's all about the priesthood. Why do we need to have two chapters basically devoted to to explaining that Yeshua is better than angels? One, four says, having become a as much better than the angels. There's another better I haven't even mentioned to you yet. Better than angels. As he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Why do you think that is? Let me tell you why. It goes back to last week. We talked about an earthly temple and we talked about a heavenly temple. And on earth, we know according to the Torah and according to history and according to reality that the earthly priests, uh, what's the word that they did in the temple? They served. Yeah. They served. The earthly priests served the temple. Last week, we learned from a number of books First Enoch, we learned from the Testament of Levi, we learned from the Song of the Sabbath, we learned from all these, these pre-Yeshua Jewish texts that Judaism tells us that while the earthly Levitical priesthood is serving here, up here, who's serving? Angels. The angels are the heavenly priests in the heavenly temples, and they are in the heavenly temple. They are serving endlessly before God, and we don't have to rely just on Jewish tradition. We know that the angels are constantly reciting, kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. They are the priesthood in heaven. And so, this is a, this is a, this is a understanding, and he told us, but, and there is a big but here, 
the angels had limited access to the innermost chambers of the heavenly temple. We read that in the Testament of Levi. We read that in Enoch, that angels could ascend a certain level. And Paul talks about the seven heavens. Remember this? Well, that's not a Pauline concept. That's a Jewish concept from the writings. Why? Because Paul was Jewish and well-educated in the writings. So these ascensions and up to see certain things, the angels could only go so far. They had a blocked access. So we needed something better than angels, right? And then this strange thing happens. He makes all these comparisons like, but when did God ever say to the angels this? But to the son he said, but what, he, did, he never told the angels this, but to, but to the son he said. So he's obviously set him up to be better. And then what does he do? He completely undermines his own argument because then he quotes Psalm 8. Psalm 8 is a psalm that says uh, that, that he made man, what? a little lower than the angels. Psalm 8 says, What is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower. Now the interesting thing is, the word is lelohim. It's not angels. It's you've made him a little lower than God, some translations say. Some translations say divine. Some say angels. But in this case, you've made him a little lower than angels and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. That's what it says. Now, clearly we read that and we say, well, that's Yeshua, right? Not so fast. He is saying that it's Yeshua, but he is using this psalm midrashically. And I don't want to bore you to death here. But you know how people always say they're going to read the Bible and they're going to take it exactly as it is. And they're, I mean, the Bible is the Bible. It tells us everything. It's, uh, you're taking things out of context. That's sometimes exactly what Midrash does. And the author of Hebrews in the New Testament takes this book, Psalm 8, completely out of context to apply it to Yeshua because what comes after that when he says, you've put everything in submission under his feet, he says the beasts and the, and the, the animals and all this other kind of stuff. He's literally talking about us. You made us lower than the angels and you gave us dominion over things. But he doesn't care because he's gonna use the psalm to make his point midrashically. He takes a section out of it and he applies it to Yeshua. Now, why? Why would he make Yeshua, who he's trying to claim is better than angels, why would he now lower him beneath angels? That's exactly the opposite of what we want to do. Remember the audience. Remember who he's talking to and why he's talking to them. He is exhorting them. What is he saying? He is saying to them, listen, I get it. I get it. He is better than angels, better than earthly priests. But they're saying, but he died. And he's dead. I mean, he's, he's resurrected, but he's, he's not here. He's not coming back. What are we supposed to do? And so the author quotes that psalm and finishes it out by saying something very important. 
Yeshua had to be like us. This is the understatement of the year, right? We all know this. For God sent his own son into the world. But he's telling, this is, this is 30 years after Yeshua. We're 2,000 and some years, and you've been hearing that and hearing that for 2,000 years. They're 30 years after. He's assuring them and saying, therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. What was he going to do? He was going to make, great word, propitiation for the sins of the people. Okay. But he says this. After he quotes that psalm, he says, for in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But, but, we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Do you remember what this whole book is about? The world to come. There is a future promise that we need to, that, that he wants the audience to see. This midrashic argument confirms from God's word, this is how it had to be. He is better than the angels. And I've given you all these scriptures. And here are the scriptures why he is lower than the angels for a time and things are not subjected to him yet, but there's a future hope. Here's the deal, guys. You have to keep the faith. You have to hold on. It's going to plan. Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, that is, it has not come yet, it remains We have to hope in something better. And so Yeshua becomes, he says in 2.17, that he might become this merciful and faithful high priest. That he is, listen to this, in verse 4.14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... Yeshua, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confessions. Remember that? What I just told you, the angels have full access or limited access? Limited. What is he saying? Drawing on Jewish tradition. He has passed like a rocket through the heavens into the innermost chambers of the heavenly temple. But there's a problem. Yeshua is not a priest, at least according to the word of God. So before we talk about the priesthood, one more little departure in in descending holiness. So we have Hashem, we have God, we have the angels. Who's the next holiest person in in, in, in Judaism? Traditional Judaism, who said it? Moses, Moshe, Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, our teacher. So what does the author of Hebrews then do? After he said, Yeshua is better than angels, who's he now better than? Moses. Who was Moses? He was, he was the builder. I mean, he was, he was a servant in charge of God's house, right? He says, and Moses, actually, if you think about it, Moses also had the pleasure of ascending to a certain level to meet God face to face, right? So what is the author doing? He is deconstructing all those who've gone before who Yeshua is better than. 
but he is in no way degradating or tearing down Moses. He is saying that Moses was faithful. He was faithful to him to appointed as Moses also was. But Moses was not able to lead them into the land. And there's an entire section in Hebrews in chapter 3 that talks about what Moses couldn't do. But you remember also Jewish tradition in terms of two redeemers. Who's the first redeemer? Moses. Who's the second redeemer? Mashiach in Judaism. In our Messianic Judaism, we know his name. First redeemer, Moses, not able to bring them into the promised land. Second redeemer, Messiah Yeshua, bringing you in. In a future promise, Yeshua is better than Moses. Right? Hebrews 7.13. Well, no, let let me say this. So the author invites us, I love this language, he invites us into a consideration after talking about the angels down to Moses. He says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Yeshua, the apostle and high priest of our confession. The high priest of our confession. But there's that problem again. Yeshua is not a priest And he is most certainly not a high priest by the reckoning of the Torah. Hebrews 8 says he would not be a priest at all. Hebrews 7.13 says, For the one concerning whom these things are spoken, he belongs to another tribe, which no one has officiated at the altar. For it's evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moshe spoke nothing concerning concerning priests. We have a difficulty here. Because throughout the book of Hebrews, he's referred to as a priest, a priest, a priest, a high priest, our great high priest, high priest, high priest. Who are the priests by quick review? They are the sons of Levi and particularly... That's the Levitical priesthood. And then the sons of Aaron are the Kohanim, the priests who serve in the inner chambers. And then there's the holy, holy guy, Kohen Hagadol, one man, one man, ordained by the Torah, the son of Aaron, who could serve in that role, right? Those are the priests according to God's word. And if there's more, They are appointed to their priesthood for how long? Forever, eternally. How long does Aaron lay claim to the priesthood? And we talked about this back in week one or two. It shall be for them an appointment as priest forever for all generations, Exodus 40. For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand to serve in the name of the Lord, him and his sons, forever, Deuteronomy 18. Exodus 29, 9. Gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, bind caps on them. They shall have the priesthood by a perpetual statute. So you shall ordain Aaron and his sons forever, eternal, perpetual. We know that even in the Messianic age, when the temple is restored, who will be running the show in there? Well, Yeshua, but who who is going to be performing the priestly service? The Levites, the priests. 
And, and forever is actually not forever. Forever is until heaven and earth pass away. As far as I know, it was 97 degrees yesterday because the heavens have not passed away. And the earth was boiling because it was 97 degrees in the heavens. And so, as far as I know, the heavens and earth haven't passed away. As far as the author of Hebrews knows, the heavens and earth hadn't passed away. And, and worse yet, for his case, the temple and the priesthood was still functioning. So we have a problem here. The entire first half of the book refers to Yeshua as a priest, a high priest, the greatest high priest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, question, is this really a problem? Well, I'll answer it over the next several weeks, not just on the priesthood, but it's not a problem if particularly, you're in line with 2,000 years of Christian theology and the teaching that has occurred on what this means. It's not a problem at all. Why? Well, because by Christian reckoning, the death and resurrection of Yeshua eliminated the Levitical priesthood. It is done. It is no more. We've spent a lot of time talking about that, but Anyway, that's the traditional way of seeing that. Messiah's sacrifice replaces the temple sacrifice. The true, remember, true heavenly temple, the true heavenly temple replaces the earthly temple. And at this point, I'm going to say the air quote, apparent priesthood of Messiah Yeshua. We've not figured out yet how he is a priest. Replaces the Aaronic priesthood. Now you're hearing a word there a lot. What's the, what's the word you're hearing? Replace. When you hear that word, that's not a good word. That word is connected to replacement. And what comes next? Right. That's, that, that should give you pause. There's a little, I, I wish I had this slide for this, but I'm just going to tell it to you because I want you to notice it. New American Standard, English Standard Version. Reading through Hebrews 7, it says, The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. The former priests, on the one hand, guess what word is not in the text? Yeah. You want to talk about theological bias to make something believable. There, there was no indication that the former priests were, were gone. Anyway, is this a problem? The answer is very easily no. Why in Christian theology, Jesus fixed it. Right? Jesus fixed it. And, and let me just, let me read you this. You can turn to Hebrews 7, turn to chapter 11, I mean 7, 7, and just listen to me for one second. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for based on it, the people had been given the Torah, what further need was there for a different coin to arise, right? For whenever the priesthood is altered out of necessity, a change in the law takes place. 
And then he goes on down here to say, for on the one hand, a former requirement is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For Torah made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. That's it, Damien. What more do you need to read? Ineffective, accomplished, nothing, weak and useless? Like, come on. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. Bam! End of series, rabbi. One section of Scripture defines the interpretation of this book for the last 2,000 years. That section right there defines so much about how the believing world understands this book. Is that right? Is that good? There's a lot of other chapters. There's a lot of other things. There's a lot of other context and concepts around this. Yeshua didn't change the Torah. He said he didn't come to do that. He didn't do that, right? This is Messianic Judaism 101. Well, he didn't, Damien, but guess who did? His daddy in heaven did. God can. Oh, he can? Paul in Romans says that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Even the book of Hebrews, it says, well, Damien, it says right there, it's weak and useless. Is that what that means? That God's word, the, the word spoken from God and given to his people who have mandated, who have, who have directed a form of holy living with God, that's weak and useless? Is that what that actually means? Well, God can do anything. I know he can, but would he? Would he do that? I don't think God can do anything or God can change anything. I don't think that's a good defense when it comes to apparent contradictions in the Bible. And don't get me wrong, we have one here. We have one here, an apparent contradiction. Replacement theology finds its, its footing right here. That's where we've come to, guys. Replacement theology, God tired of Israel's failure and the worship system. It doesn't matter that he created it. It doesn't matter that he commanded it. It doesn't matter that it was pleasing to him, that it was a, a pleasing aroma. None of that matters. He changed it. And Jesus was the fix. Jesus, he came down, operation termination of Aaron. What's your name, sir? Yeshua the Terminator. I'll be back. <laughs> Operation Priesthood out. <laughs> That's contrary to the Torah. Aaron's calling is a chukat olam, an eternal statute. What else has or could God change his mind about then? Do you ask yourself that? When you hear these things, well, God changed all that. 
Well, he changed the day of Shabbat. He changed this. He changed that. He threw out the promises he made to Aaron. Does that ever concern you? Like what else could he change his mind about? What it leads to actually in a really weird and twisted way is, is, is this idea that, well, I'm just a filthy old rubbish heap, menstrual rag sinner. Uh, uh, I'm not good for nothing. Because I mean, you know, I'm just, I'm just horrible. Well, that's not the way God looks at you. That's not the way God looks at you. But if you live in fear that he could change his mind and say, well, you're right. You are filthy and disgusting. I don't love you anymore. That leads to this rubbish heap type of believer attitude. I don't like that. I don't believe that. I don't believe God changed his mind. And I don't believe Jesus came and undid the entire entire books of the Torah, basically, by this argument. The idea that 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 way of thinking would scare me. As a matter of fact, it it did scare me. So you know what I did? I I study this out, and I researched this, and I prayed, and, and, and I realized something important. You are a sinner, and so am I. And we, we, we do need, the temple and the priesthood can't fix that. We do need a better hope. We need something better. And God gave it something so important, but not like that. That traditional interpretation just does not work. And I want you to understand it. I want you to know why it is. So what then is the priesthood of Yeshua? And this is where we'll wrap up today. How did he get it? If he's not a son of Aaron, how did he get it? How does that work? How does he circumvent the Torah? Where does it come from? Well, to answer what is, sometimes it's best to know what it is not. When we were doing Torah Club leader approval interviews, we had an entire section in this, what was called the affirmation agreement to become a part of Torah club and lead a group. There was a section about who FFOZ is, and this is what we believe and so on and so forth. And then the most important section, what we are not. We are not sacred name theology. We are not replacement theology. We are not one law theology. and, And we're not either. But my point is, Sometimes it's best to know what is not in order to know what is, right? So here's what we know. Yeshua's priesthood is not Aaronic. It's not earthly. It doesn't serve here on earth. As a matter of fact, he could not serve on earth. Well, by goodness, that's heresy. He's Jesus. He could have, you saw what he did in the temple. He came in there. This is, this is my like, this is my Bible Belt Christian voice. You ready? He came in there. He just took him tables and he just threw him over. He could have, he could have busted in that temple right in there. He could have busted past him priests. He could have walked himself right into that holy of holies right there. 
He's Jesus. He can do what He wants. Well, let me tell you something. If Jesus did that, we are sunk because we have no better hope. We have no Messiah. We have no perfect, Torah-keeping, sinless, perfect Messiah because He could not do that on earth as a son of the tribe of Judah. Now somebody's going to say, well, David, you know, went in and did this and all that. Just, we'll talk later about that. We know it's not ironic. We know that it's not the termination of Levitical priesthood. That abolishes Torah. We now know why the author chose to and why, it, why he chose to explain and why it is better than angels. We know why Yeshua is higher than Moshe. We know why he had to be made like his brethren to make propitiation for the sins of the people. But here's the thing, that cannot happen on earth. That can't happen in the temple in Jerusalem. Yeshua's priesthood is different. It's not of this world. And what world are we speaking of in Hebrews 2, 5? The next one. And the key to understanding this mystery is found in an even more mysterious dude by the name of in the south, it is Melchizedek. In Hebrew, it is Melchizedek, the king of righteousness. Five, five, seven, five, chapter five. <laughs> That's a phone number in case you... <laughs> five, five, seven, six. See, the conclusion of a sermon is the most important part, and by this time I'm usually so excited that I just, I'm just blowing through it so fast. Listen, chapter 5, verse 5 through 7 in the book of Hebrews. Quoting Psalm 110, See also, Messiah did not glorify himself as so to become a high priest, but he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you, just as he says also in another passage, You are a priest forever, according to the order of 510, being designated by God as a high priest, according to the order of Chapter 6, 19, this hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast as one, and one which enters within the veil, where Yeshua has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of. All of chapter 7 is about. This is really important. So here's the question. How much do you know about who and what Melchizedek is. I didn't think so. And that's okay. How does that help you understand the mission and purpose of Yeshua? Why is it such a focus? Because it's better. Because it's better. And when we meet again, we'll meet Melchizedek. Shabbat Shalom. We hope you enjoyed the weekly teaching 
We'd love to hear from you with a comment, a prayer request, or questions you might have. We believe the mission and message of Messianic Judaism is something the world needs now. If you enjoy these teachings, would you consider financially supporting the work of Nachamu Ami by visiting our website at www.makingmessianic.com and clicking the Give Online button in the upper right corner. Thank you again for listening.